Even now, says the Lord, return to me with your whole heart. Beautiful first words to begin. <laughs> return to the Lord with your whole heart. So what makes it so difficult? I think there's a lot of different answers to that question, but I think there are two common things that keep us from returning to the Lord with our whole heart. The first is, I think it's this fear that God is somehow angry with us, that God is um, really disappointed with us, and he is just waiting for that moment when he can express articulately how frustrated, disappointed, and angry he is with us. And we have this fear that that's our Father's disposition towards us. And so we struggle to come before the Lord and to surrender our heart to him. Our heart that's broken, our heart that's sinful. Or maybe at the same time, we think that, that the Father is just waiting to dish out this like huge punishment, you know? Like he's got this big divine beating stick and he's just waiting like, come on, come here, come take your lickings, you know? Like we have this concept that God is angry and, and I think that holds a lot of people back from the Lord because we often beat ourselves up a lot with our own shame of our own brokenness, you know? And that's hard to carry ourselves and so this false idea that like God wants to dish out even more I think that keeps us from bringing our hearts to him, right? The second thing I think that keeps us from surrendering our hearts to the Lord, returning to the Lord with whole heart, um, is this concept that, like, if I return to God, I have to have everything figured out, right? So it's this idea that if I return to the Lord, I have to say, okay, Lord, I'm sorry, but I got it all worked out. It'll never happen again. I'm good. I sorted it out, Lord. I came back to you perfect, right? And then we start to think about what it means. Like, we start to think about um, correcting our faults uh, by our own strength. And then eventually we get to that point where we realize, oh my gosh, I'm a total mess. I don't have enough strength on my own. I don't have my life together. All the pieces are not in place. And so I'm not ready to return to the Lord. I can't return to him until I've got it perfect. And I think that's the second common reason why we struggle to return to the Lord with our whole heart. And the truth is, these are both big, huge, fat lies. Right? They're gigantic lies. The Father is not waiting to beat us with his divine correction stick, you know? He's not ready to add on to the shame and guilt that many of us feel for our own sinfulness. And it's a lie to think that we have to have it all figured out before we return to him, right? That we have to do it by our own strength and by our own merits. And how do we know that that's so those are lies. How do we know the truth about the Lord? I actually think our responsorial psalm dispels these lies and rumors and gives us the truth of who God really is and why it's so good for us to return to the Lord with our whole heart. Psalm 51, 
is the beautiful psalm that we heard today. It's a very common psalm. It's probably one of the most popular psalms uh, in the Psalter. I remember when I went to confession one time in college, um, we had this pitcher for the Arizona Diamondbacks. His name was Randy Johnson. You probably remember him. He's like six foot ten, threw a hundred and hundred mile an hour fastball. It was amazing, amazing pitcher. Anyways, he um, his number was fifty one, and so I went to this priest all the time, and uh, my penance was always the Randy Johnson psalm because it's Psalm fifty one. So. It's very common in Arizona because of that, um, but it's also really beautiful. But a lot of people don't know the history behind the psalm. The psalm was actually composed by David. So think about that for a moment. We are singing a psalm at Mass that was composed by King David. Now, obviously, to a different melody and tune, we don't know the ancient Jewish Psalter melodies that David composed. Uh, and obviously, we're doing it in English and not in ancient Hebrew, but... We are singing the same psalm that David composed. And David composed this psalm immediately after he was made aware of the gravity of his sinfulness. And I think we all know David's sin, but in case we don't, let's review it. David was taking a leisurely stroll on the top of his palace. While his troops were all at war, he was not with them. And he saw this young woman named Bathsheba bathing on the rooftop near his palace. And he said, I really like her. I want to make her my own. So he has an adulterous relationship with her. She becomes pregnant. He doesn't want her husband Uriah to know the truth. So he sends Uriah out to the front lines of the battle so that knowing that he would die, so then he could then take uh, Bathsheba as his own wife. That's a pretty shady dude. That guy's not a good guy, right? He not only committed adultery, he then had a dude murder. He conspired to kill somebody all so that he can indulge in his own selfish desires, okay? Not a good dude. His predecessor, Saul, was deposed from being the king because he didn't follow one of the Lord's commandments. David did way more than just breaking like a little commandment. He is committed adultery and murder. And David is confronted with the reality of his sin. And he composes this psalm to the Lord that we sang today. What does he say to the Lord? Have mercy on me. In your greatness, wipe out my offense. I acknowledge my offense. My sin is always before me. I have sinned against you. I have done what is evil in your sight. He comes to the Lord in music and he says, I'm a sinner. I acknowledge it. I see the weight of it. And how does the Lord meet David with this psalm? Not with a big divine beating stick. The Lord allows David to continue to be the king of Israel. He renews his covenant with David. He does not abandon David. He stays with David. Because the difference between David and his predecessor Saul is Saul showed no willingness to come to the Lord and admit his own faults. Saul showed no remorse for his minor offense. But David, in his great offense, 
has a sorrowful and repentant heart. And he does not hold that back from God. And God sticks with David. In fact, David builds an incredible empire, incredible kingdom. Uh, and Jesus is the new son of David. Jesus fulfills that da Davidic lineage. David plays a huge role in our faith, even though he's one of the worst sinners in the Bible. Right? Shatters the first lie that God is waiting to, to beat us up, to pour more shame on top of us. That God is disappointed in us when we come to him with our brokenness. David proves, Psalm 51 proves that that is a dirty, rotten lie. What about the second lie? Does David come before the Lord and say, Lord, I've got it all figured out. We're all good. I've worked out my stuff. I've got an order. It's never going to happen again. Absolutely not. What does David say? A clean heart create for me, O God. Why? Because I can't do it. <laughs> a steadfast spirit renew within me because my spirit is terrible. <laughs> Don't cast me out of your presence. Give me back the joy of your salvation because I can't earn it by myself. O Lord, you open my lips so that my mouth can proclaim your praise. Because my lips can't do it unless you open them. David comes before the Lord in his brokenness, acknowledges it, and says, Lord, I am a hot mess, and I'm going to continue to be a hot mess. I need your help. I can't do this on my own. Please help me. You do this so that I can do that. Because by myself, I'll just continue to sin. David does not have his stuff together when he goes before the Lord. And the Lord welcomes him anyways. In fact, it's David admitting that he can't do it by himself that makes it possible for the Lord to do in him what he can't do by himself. That shatters that second lie that I have to have my life perfectly organized, all of my faults and failures corrected, all of my temptations gone, all of my weaknesses in check before I return to the Lord with a whole heart. Shatters that lie. Psalm 51 David proves that that is a lie of the evil one that must be rejected. You see, there's all kinds of lies that Satan tells us every single day to keep us from returning to the Lord with our whole heart. Lent is a time to confront those lies, to say, I'm done listening to you, Satan. I'm going to listen to the Lord. That's why the readings we'll get on Sunday are about Jesus overcoming temptation. That's how Lent begins. It begins with confronting the lies of the evil one. So the question for us today is what lies have I been buying into? What are the lies that I've allowed to creep into my mind and my heart that keeps me from that simple and beautiful invitation that we heard at the very beginning of our liturgy of the Lord, to return to the Lord with our whole heart. Let's acknowledge those lies today. Let's surrender them to God. Let's lay them on the altar spiritually to give to the Father in heaven. And let's ask the Lord to direct the blessings that come from receiving our ashes and the graces that come from the gift of Holy Communion to build us up to continue to reject those lies and to surrender our hearts completely to the Lord.